This is Dr. Kara Shepard, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. Thanks for listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. It is a time of year where bucks are super important, and I'm going to spend some time talking about bucks in this episode. I'm going to talk about how much I love them, and then I'm going to talk about uh, like breeding soundness and physical exam and breeding soundness exam, and then like thinking about like breeding. Uh, considerations and whether you should keep a buck or whether you want to keep a buck or um, whether you want to keep frozen bucks and pros and cons of those things. There's probably going to be a little bit of overlap between this episode and the repro episodes that I did last fall during breeding season. So if you go back to that, it would be like breeding basic physiology and uh, advanced reproductive techniques that I did last fall around this time when I was trying to make a breeding plan. Um, and you can listen to those. There's going to be a little bit of overlap, but generally that a lot more of the repro stuff is focused on the dough and management of the dough. So in this episode, we're going to talk about those boys and, uh, yeah, if you follow me on Instagram, you know that I love bucks and I did like hashtag show me your bucks. So if you want to show me your bucks on Instagram, you can tag me at goat underscore doc and hashtag show me your bucks because I'm pretty sure that I'm following that hashtag. And speaking of Instagram, that's a good way to find me on the internet at goat underscore doc. You can also contact me through my website, which is goatdoc.com. There's a contact tab on there if you want to click that link. And if you like the Twitter, you can follow me at goat.cara. I'm not a big Twitterer. Um, mostly stuff just kind of bounces there from my other other internet places. But usually it's the Instagram lately. And you can check me out over there. Um, need to talk about the Patreon because shout out to April Bryant, uh, who is the latest Patreon supporter of uh goat talk with the goat doc thank you so much april i like it's so cool that you guys think that this is uh something worth throwing a little bit of money at and that you appreciate it in that way so i appreciate you appreciating me so thank you april um and i'm like swamped right now between breeding and working and trying to build a dairy like (laughs) It's, it's crazy. I look forward to the winter period of rest where instead of resting, I will do things like update my website. So, yeah. Um, I'll get you guys some thank you stuff coming there on the website. Uh, if you would like to join April and the, the first ever supporters of Goat Talk with the Goat Doc, you can check out the Patreon page at patreon.com slash goat doc. 
and help me build and expand my goat empire because I'm totally into that right now. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's my saying this week is that I'm growing my goat empire. Um, maybe I'll record another episode and post it pretty quick. There's this thing right now because it's October. It's October 10th today. And there's this thing that I just learned about like five minutes before October started called Goatober, like G-O-A-T-O-B-E-R. And uh, it's really cool and I'm excited about it. And I'm already planning for making a humongous deal about it next Goatober. So we'll talk about that again for sure. Anyway, um... Uh, last thing that I have to say is that if you're liking the podcast and you want to support the podcast, you're not ready to take the plunge on the Patreon, but if you would like to share with friends, uh, that's super helpful. I get messages like with some regularity that someone said, my friend recommended your podcast and I'm enjoying it. So that's a great thing to do. I really appreciate the word of mouth, uh, s- spreading the word and promoting the goat And um, if you can take a second and rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player, that is also super helpful. Makes the internet intelligence computer algorithm say, oh, people are listening to that podcast and I should make it show up sooner so other people listen to it as well. So those are all awesome things and I appreciate you guys listening And I think now I'm going to talk about our stinky boys, the Bucks. Uh, As always, this podcast is provided with the intent to educate and inform. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice or veterinary care provided by your primary vet. And I strongly encourage you to establish and maintain a current and valid VCPR, veterinarian client patient relationship with your local vet. So, Bucks. Uh, Like I said, I love Bucks. Um, My husband and I have talked about, like, someday we'll just build a big old barn and fill it with Bucks, similar to how they do, like, breeding stallion farms in Kentucky. That would be super fun. Uh, It'd be very stinky in the fall, but it's just, like... Things to think about with a buck is that, like, think about a buck as half of your herd. Uh, If you keep one buck and he's servicing all your does, they sit, you know, he's providing half of the genetic material for your next generation of kids. So choosing a buck and using a buck for a breeding program is something that, like, in my opinion, warrants some consideration. I've talked in other episodes about things like breed integrity and uh, in in goats and other species and uh, like selecting genetics and that like in my opinion if we're making these animals that they have some purpose in livestock in in goats of different breeds in dogs of different breeds like purebred dogs like they have been bred for a purpose and to improve on their longevity and ability to do their job in an efficient and effective way is like a valuable goal uh build a better goat and that's another thing i'm i generally get on a kick about in the fall because it's breeding time 
Uh, so I'm probably going to circle back to that at the end of this episode, but at the moment I'm going to kind of talk about the nitty gritty of bucks, the physical exam, the breeding soundness exam, um, and those like factual things to think about with a buck and then I'll get more into the opinion stuff. Um, I'm going to get it out of the way and say right off the bat, please call your bucks bucks. When people call bucks billies, I'm like, uh, that's not what they're called. They're called bucks. Um, your intact male goats are called bucks. You can, I sometimes refer to my young guys as bucklings until they're a year old, and uh, then they're the bucks. Uh, the bucklings, uh, so average age of puberty for a buck is five months. Um, in the northern hemisphere, the sperm are present, like they're being produced in animals younger than that, so like four to five months. But like typically the sperm that are the most, like the first ones that those little testicles make are not so awesome. Like their morphology may not be great. There's not going to be a lot of them. Typically they're not something that would be capable of impregnating a doe Um, but then as they get older they do Um, also at the time of puberty there is this is like you know physical physical exam type stuff Um, all bucklings are generally expected to be born with some tissue between their penis and the inside of their prepuce uh, so the prepuce is like the covering of like that kind of sheath of where the penis goes up into when it's not being used. Um, there's typically like tissue adhesions between the actual penis and the prepuce. That's what we typically refer to as like a penile frenulum. And a frenulum is just like a little bit of tissue. I feel like I've described this before talking about something else. Like that, that little thin bit of tissue under your tongue that when you lift your tongue up and look under your tongue towards the bottom of your mouth there's like that little thin bit of flat tissue that sticks out that's a frenulum so similar there's a penile or like more than one penile frenulum between the penis and the inside of the prepuce um The, as the buckling gets to puberty, the influence of testosterone makes that tissue kind of go away and that frenulum becomes thinner and thinner and then eventually breaks down completely because it's important for the buck to be able to extend his penis, which is what we call a fibroelastic penis, and that just has to do with a type of connective tissue uh, that is like is what makes up the penis it's kind of like firm but not like not like mineral firm like bone um the the fibroelastic nature of the tissue is just like just what we call it it is what it is so they have to be able to extend their penis outside of their prepuce in order to succeed at intromission, which is getting the penis into the vagina. And um, there can be an issue if a buck, for whatever reason, has abnormal 
that penile frenulum can be persistent. It can be thicker than normal. It can not want to break down or maybe breaks down later than normal. Um, but that can be a problem uh, as far as being able to use that animal for breeding. And that's part of the breeding soundness exam, which I'll talk about in more detail in a second. Um, your young bucks, your bucklings, should have both of their testicles descended at the time of birth. Uh, sometimes if you've ever had it, like a dog or maybe a cat, I don't know about other species, typically dogs and cats, um, sometimes like puppies when they go to their first like puppy visit, if the breeder thinks that they should have a puppy visit before they go to their new homes at like five or six weeks and I'll see them and I always check the boys for testicles and sometimes the boys have two and sometimes they have one and sometimes they have none at five weeks old but so this is puppies but I don't worry about it too too much at that age because as they get older those testicles may descend uh, during development the testicles form like up by the kidneys and then they descend down like through the retroperitoneal area which is like the lower back area and then come out into the scrotum so for dogs and cats um, if the testicles aren't there when they're very young I don't get too excited about it but for bucks and um, I think this is all ruminants so bucks and bulls and rams uh, they should all have both of their testicles in the scrotum at birth I don't think well I've I've got one patient right now that's uh, with the testicles are not descended we call it crypt orchid so orchid always refers to the testicles um, and crypt orchid means that the testicles are not descended into the scrotum they're up somewhere thing like up in the crypt so it could be up in the inguinal area there's this really annoying anatomical area called the inguinal canal which is where vessels come out of the abdomen and into the the scrotum into the testicles um or um, the testicles could be all the way up in the abdomen. Uh, I was refreshing my male goat stuff before recording this episode, and uh, cryptorchidism in goats is not uncommonly associated with, like, an intersex goat, so that could be any number, well, not any number, there's, like, probably a handful of, like, chromosomal abnormalities or hermaphroditism or sex-linked abnormal sexual characteristics like polled goats can have there's different uh, like hermaphroditism can be associated with that and I've got to review all that stuff before I talk about it but just to note that cryptorchid goats may have other weird repro stuff going on so if you've got an animal that has a penis and no testicles that's abnormal and uh might have something weird going on up there if it is not a pet it's probably going to freezer camp and i mean at least that's what i would probably do but uh, if it is a pet then typically you want to get that taken care of if there's a penis and no testicles then you want to go find those testicles or possibly like weird testicle ovary type situation because testicles aren't supposed to live in the abdomen and when testicles are out in the scrotum they're away from the body because 
the sperm production happens at a lower temperature than internal body temperature. So testicular tissue, <clears throat> excuse me, is not designed to exist in internal abdominal body temperature. It's designed to be like a little bit cooler than regular body temperature. I don't know why, it's just the way it is. It's one of those weird biology things that makes me go, why is that like that? But um, when the testicular tissue is abnormally placed up in the abdomen, for example, or even just really close to the body wall, so if it's like an inguinal, what I would describe as an inguinal cryptorchid, so maybe I can feel the testicle under the skin, which makes me happy because then I don't have to go hunting in the abdomen for it. Um, if it's an inguinal cryptorchid, then uh, it still is close to the body wall. If you have bucks and you've ever looked at them, like during the summer, like on a really hot day, you may notice that like their testicles hang a bit lower because it's hot and the body is like, get those testicles further away from my body mass because in order to make effective semen, uh, you know, morphologically correct sperm, the testicles need to be a little bit cooler. So that's why the body does that. I think I went off on a little bit of a tangent here that I didn't intend to. Um, so those are the things to think about, just physical characteristics of your bucklings, you know, what happens during puberty, what is like a, a red flag, like cryptorchidism is like a red flag. Um, I've talked in the past, you know, t so the, the buck reproductive system, you know, the, the important stuff is, that I'm going to focus on and talk about is the testicles and the penis. Um, there's other, like, accessory sex glands that exist and I had to learn about one time for an anatomy exam, but I don't remember too much about them right now. And this is, like, not so clinically relevant, so I'm not going to think about it that much. Um, I've talked in the uh, urinary calculi episode about the anatomy of the penis where uh, bucks have what's called the urethral process or the vermiform appendage, which is that long, skinny, like worm-like thing that goes off the end of the penis. That's where urine comes out. That's where ejaculate comes out. That's the orifice at the end of the penis, which is at that weird long worm-like thing that just exists. Um, bucks, you know, typically like your reproductive schedule, like I said, I'm breeding right now and things are crazy and <laughs> involves a lot of driving around when I'm working all over the state and I have to get home every night because the does are in heat and I have to AI them. But uh, the the typical schedule would be like your bucklings are born in the spring so maybe like in the northern hemisphere maybe like february through april and then you could expect them to start to show puberty like i said by four to six months with the average being five months so you're in maybe like july um if they were born in february july through october your bucks are going to be coming into puberty um 
they'll start to exhibit bucky behavior and what also influences them like if you go back and listen to that uh, reproductive physiology episode goats are seasonal breeders their season the does are seasonal polyesterous is in terms of their estrus behavior and bucks come into the rut in the fall which is also influenced by daylight hours which the daylight hours, I think the photoreceptors in the eyes go to the pineal gland and influence melatonin secretion, and I can't remember the whole cascade right now, but um, similarly to does starting to exhibit estrus behavior in the fall, bucks start to come into the rut in the fall, and that means that their behavior changes they like to perfume their entire body with their own urine they like to mount each other um that physically their testicles get bigger so their their uh scrotal circumference which i'll talk about more in a minute uh is larger their testicles are bigger they're like amped up like we got to make sperm because it's time to make babies and their behavior changes to ruddy, so with the peeing on the face and the flap in the gums and the phlegmin facial expression, so that's the lifting of the upper lip. Um, you know, they're just, they're, they're excited to make babies. Um, so not to get into the, like, considerations of, like what you're looking for in a buck for your particular herd yet but just evaluating a buck in terms of is this animal physically capable of doing what I need it to do is called a breeding soundness exam so that is to evaluate that animal's physical ability to breed Um, for me that consists of a normal physical exam so when I physically do a physical on a goat I'm looking at them all over eyes famancha um, so mucous membrane color body condition score overall general healthy appearance I listen to their heart I listen to their lungs um, look at their hoof health uh, feel all their lymph nodes. I like. I feel lymph nodes in like everything that I examine. Um, important. It's like a nice uh, marker for me for my physical exam. Um, and let's see. Listen to their abdominal sounds. Borborygmy of the rumen body temperature and just like general health and wellness of that animal and then for a a breeding soundness exam which is definitely like more of a thing for bulls dairy bulls um beef bulls even more so because beef tends to be bred live cover where dairy tends to be ai um like a breeding soundness exam is something that the beef producers are like slamming on in probably late late I don't know the timing late summer maybe I don't know um but so a breeding soundness exam consists of like a more thorough physical examination of the reproductive tract and then uh evaluation of the semen so testicles check out the testicles checking out the penis and this is how like how thorough you need to be with this may depend on the case like are, how are you buying this animal are you is this animal having a problem and not doing what you expected it to do um what's what's the reason for the exam is part of 
a, a repro exam in my own bucks like my bucks that I have right now I just bought a buck um and you know <laughs> I bought him from someone that as a, a breeder that I respect and trust and has beautiful animals and this buck has already sired other kids so I wasn't too excited about you know I wasn't too worried about him um uh and like I just like goats are pretty good at making babies like weird things happen and the buck can have fertility issues but in general they're pretty darn good at making babies but breeding soundness exam so penis and testicles testicles looking to make sure they're both there so it's not a crypt orchid um looking at size and symmetry of the testicles and texture so they feel normal they feel symmetrical there's no lumps or bumps there's no heat or weird swellings um the scrotal circumference is a like there's not hard and fast rules for this in small ruminants i'm sure there's better descriptions for uh bovine breeding soundness exams but like a 45 kilo buck so that's roughly a 100 pound buck a 25 to 28 centimeter scrotal circumference is acceptable and if they're bigger than that they're probably going to have a bigger scrotal circumference than that um there's not too much else you can do. I mean, if you want to get fancy, you could like ultrasound the testicles if you're concerned about a problem, if there's an abnormal swelling, it seems like there's like a tumor or an infection or something like that. You can put an ultrasound probe on your testicles and get some useful information. Um, but typically it's like a physical exam of the testicles, size, symmetry, shape, uh, texture, and that stuff. Um, the penis uh, needs to be extruded in order to be examined. We already talked about like the persistent penile frenulum. So if you physically cannot get the penis out of the prepuce, you physically cannot breed does. Uh, so in order to evaluate that in a breeding soundness exam, I got to get the penis out of there. And depending on the goat, that may depending on the buck that may be easier or harder depending on what he's into uh, sometimes they'll just stick it out there and I can see it and I don't even have to uh, do anything else but sometimes you know they may need to be sedated you may need to if you prop them up on their bum uh, it tends to be easier to get their penis out of the prepuce to examine it uh, the bucks in the urinary calculi episode I talked about um that the urethral process, the vermiform appendage, is like one of the most narrow spots of the urethra and a spot where urinary calculi can get caught up. And sometimes I will amputate that urethral process. Uh, if the if the urethral process is amputated in a buck, it does not appear to affect fertility. So still, as long as he can pee, as long as he can ejaculate, that's fine. And part of that has to do with, like, the evaluation of the ejaculate itself. So, went through the, um, like, the testicle and penis part of the breeding soundness exam, the physical evaluation of the reproductive organs, and now you got to look at the semen, which is what actually gets the job done. Uh, the average buck ejaculate volume is like one of the smallest ones, I think, in our domestic species. Uh, it's like a half a mil to one and a half milliliters. 
but within that one like average one milliliter like one milliliter is a very small amount in that one milliliter the average number of sperm is four billion four billion with a b that is a lot of sperm cells uh so in order to evaluate your semen you need to collect it uh which, depending on your animal, can be done with varying degrees of success and ease. You can use a teaser dough and collect the buck into an artificial vagina, and that's probably the easiest thing to do. You can also use this thing called an electroejaculator, which is uh, rectally used to stimulate, if I remember correctly, stimulate those accessory sex glands and uh, produce an ejaculation. Um, yeah, so the, you gotta, you gotta get some semen if you're going to evaluate it. So you catch it, you put it under a microscope and you look at it. You measure the volume of the ejaculate. You want it to be in that area, that range that I talked about. Um, you want to look at, so then you got to look at the sperm and sometimes you, you need to dilute it out a little bit because 4 billion sperm in one milliliter, like you have to dilute it out so it doesn't just look like looks like kind of like static on a TV when they're all together like that wiggling around. Uh, you want to be looking at your sperm cells. You want to see 80% motility. You want to see like what's called progressive motility. So that means that the sperm cell is uh, like moving in a straightforward fashion. The guy, there's always like some weird guys that are like a little cockeyed and go around in a circle and they're not going to make it to the they're not going to make it to the egg, basically. They want to have good progressive motility, forward motion in a somewhat straight trajectory. Um, and uh, so good motility, morphology of the sperm cells. You want it to be like 80% normal as well. Sperm cells, and they have like the head of the sperm and the tail. And I didn't refresh on the parts of the sperm cell, uh, but they can have weird abnormalities. They can have like the head of it can be misshapen, or they can have two tails, or they can have like a weird curly tail that isn't really like um, helpful for forward motility. Like there can be weird morphology, and some of that is normal because it's like billions of cells. So you're gonna see some weird ones, but you want to see at least 80% normal. Um, and that is pretty much that. Uh, different ways for evaluating, like, can this buck do what I want him to do? The other thing you got to evaluate in terms of that, can he do what I want him to do? So physically, penis testicles, semen evaluation, and then is the kind of <laughs> the, the mental part for the buck, which is like libido. Um, and some bucks, lots of bucks, are like have excellent libido and you don't need to worry about it because they know their job and they get it done. Some of them are a little bit more delicate, especially when they're young and need, like, you got to think about animal behavior sometimes. Um, like, this year in my buck pen, there's five bucks in a weather right now. And there's a four-year-old buck, there's a three-year-old buck, and there's three bucklings from this spring. 
one of the bucklings from the spring is like he's just real chill he's very passive he's not super aggressive he's kind of the low man on the totem pole my senior buck who is also very chill the four-year-old one he's kind of the head honcho in there he's the biggest he outweighs those little guys by probably a good 200 pounds um but he you know he asserts his dominance most aggressively on the little guy who's also like my favorite um and that affects the the mentality of that animal so for example i we need to use that young buck um to breed some does and he's he's just more like nervous about things because he's like gets a little bit you know gets a little bit of a hard time sometimes so he like my husband brought him up to the doe barn and put him in with a doe and he just wouldn't perform and my husband was frustrated and texted me he's like he's an idiot he's only got one job to do what the heck is wrong with him and he put him back in with the bucks so when I got home, I took him out of the buck pen. I kept him, the bucks are in a separate barn from the does. I put him in a different stall in the buck barn and brought the doe to him. And it was fine. He's not, like, his libido was fine. He covered the doe probably four to six times in an hour. And that's great. I was very happy with that because he was in an environment where he could be relaxed. He wasn't surrounded with does that are like you know 150 200 pounds heavier than him in a barn that he's never been in it's just like how do I facilitate this animal to relax and do his job this kind of you know I see where my husband was coming from where he's like he's got one job to do and it's to have sex how bad is that and he's acting like I'm torturing him yelling up in the dough barn but all you gotta do is put him down in his environment and that was all it took for him so sometimes you got to think about animal behavior a little bit just in terms of numbers um thinking about how many bucks do you need for your herd uh physically and like numbers wise a buck could serve 100 does over like a typical breeding period so that breeding period would be like a little bit less than your um 21 day heat cycle so 18 days a buck could a healthy buck should be able to service 100 does over um, those that period. Usually we don't expect them to do that. Uh, depending on how you breed, like <laughs> my bucks are, are maybe going to service like a half a dozen does each this year because I've got more bucks than I need and I want to see what they make. Um, so typically, like, if you're like, what's the fewest number of bucks that I can keep for my herd? One buck should be able to very reasonably service 30 to 50 does. Um, a mature adult, you know, 18 month plus old buck. Uh, younger bucks, less, uh, maybe 15 to 25 does. Uh, another thing to evaluate is how many times will a buck serve? This is like a good evaluation of libido. Like how interested are they in doing their job? Um, and like think about that environmental thing. Is there some stressor for that buck that is causing him to not perform? Um, is he in a different barn? Is he than that? In one of the repro episodes I mentioned, I brought some of my bucks to the Holland Clinic in school to do semen collection. 
and freezing. Someone almost just ran into somebody else right in front of me. That was a little scary. Um, so do semen collection and freezing, and they I trailered them like two hours to get there, and when we got there, they're like, yeah, no, we're not interested in sex because this is really stressful. So think about that for your bucks. It's funny. I mean, I mentioned this in the other episode too. It's funny does they're in heat. I've driven does like mature Nubian does, put them in the back of my Volkswagen, driven them an hour away to a boyfriend, and they're like, "Yep, let's do it." Where if I took a buck and drove him an hour away, he might not do it. They're like little delicate flowers sometimes. But so think about that in terms of your bucks. Um, and a, so evaluating libido, if I put a buck in with a doe, uh, expecting him to cover her, to service her four to six times in 30 minutes is like the preferred number of times. And this can have to do with age too, because my husband and I love breeding the young bucks. They're like super fast about it. They are ready to go again in like two minutes. Um, you get them in with a doe in heat. She stands, they do it. They get down, they do it again. Two minutes later, it's fabulous. They cover them, you know, three times in 10 minutes. And then you're like, okay, that's great. Good job. And then do it again 12 hours later. Um, older bucks tend to take their time a little bit more. They tend to, in my experience at least, they tend to like to finesse the ladies and flap their gums and stomp their feet. And, you know, there's a little bit more um, courtship behavior involved. I don't know if the does really care or not, but the older gentlemen seem to like to do that more. Um, but still, I do like to see the mature bucks cover a doe multiple times in that 30-minute period. Um, last thing to think about, and just in terms of evaluating the physical and mental characteristics of your buck for breeding, you want to make sure these animals are free from any physical genetic possibly heritable defects um dental malocclusions cryptorchidism supernumerary teats anything that is present that you don't want to pass on to the offspring uh don't breed it um a lot of the things in goats, I think we may never really know the genetic basis for them. Um, like this particular gene, where it's located, how do we avoid it if we want to avoid like supernumerary teats, for example. But basically, like just don't breed that and you're less likely to get it. Which kind of brings me to the thing of building a better goat. Um, like touched on at the beginning we're making more animals why are we doing it these are livestock production animals um, many of them goats as pets are certainly becoming more popular um, and they're fun animals to have around but just like there's purebred labs who win the shows and have excellent longevity and do what they were intended to do which is to retrieve waterfowl i believe from you know they're they're a hunting dog um 
Like I see dogs in clinical practice that are beautiful animals bred to do, doing what they were bred to do. Um, and I see like a, a puppy from that litter could go and hunt and do the thing it was made to do or the puppy from that litter could go and be a wonderful pet. Um, but then I also see animals that's like the same breed. So talking about like labs, for example, because there's tons of them. Maybe they're not as well bred and they wouldn't physically be able to do the job that it was bred to do, whether it's for just like hunting drive or retrieving drive or physically like may not have the structure where that kind of activity would hold up over time. Um, so like for me, I have a couple, I have purebred dogs. I have um, a Vishla, which is a hunting dog. And I got him from a breeder that promotes a dog that is a hunting dog and a showing dog and a really nice dog. And that was important to me when I found a breeder for my dogs because I want to live a long time with my dogs. I want my dogs to have long lives, even if they're not going to go bird hunting because I don't have time. Um, I want them to have long and comfortable lives, and I would like that same for my goat patients. So breeding characteristics um, are important, and then they're even more important when you're talking about production animals, animals that are involved in some kind of business making food because there's money involved and profitability is related to how well those animals produce whether it's milk or meat or what have you um so thinking about that is important there are definitely tools to that are available to be utilized um uh, you know I'm going to talk about dairy goats more probably because that's what I do. And, um, like for example, I'm not going to talk about too much cause I feel like I'm getting to the end of my ability to talk here. Um, like the American dairy goat association, something that I've gotten really excited about this fall. There's lots of performance programs available. So looking at, uh, an animal's ability to produce milk. How much milk is that animal going to produce? How much milk is that sire, are that sire's offspring going to produce? How do we get the numbers behind these animals to show that these animals are good animals to build a better goat? Because that's in my opinion, part of what we should be doing. If we're going to be making more animals, let's make them better. Let's not make crappy animals, <laughs> to put it quite bluntly. Um, there, I am self, you know, I will fully admit that I am not an expert on all of the um, performance programs, uh, the the performance programs through the American Dairy Goat Association are ba like a production type evaluation. So production is milk production, type is physical confirmation, and looking at statistics and what the daughters of a certain sire do to try to infer and statistically analyze how you can use those sires to make a better goat. Um, a lot of this stuff has been taken from the cow dairy industry where in the United States there's just so many more numerically like thousands and thousands of dairy cows are on milk test, for example. Um, and I don't, I don't even think 
I don't even think in the ADGA file I could I can check with them. They might tell me. I don't even think there's a hundred thousand um, or you know twenty five thousand goats on milk test uh, through the American Dairy Goat Association. So it's something that like those programs are available, and the more we utilize them, and then the more we utilize that information as breeders to build wow. a better goat then we're going to make better goats. Um, I hopefully at some point will be able to coordinate with someone from ADGA and have them on the podcast to talk about those performance programs. Ooh, so you may have realized that I pulled into the driveway and I was sitting there talking because the cat, the truck sound dissipated somewhat. And uh, I... There's less background noise. And apparently I can talk about bucks for a long time. Um, the thing, I think the last thing that I wanted to talk about and touch on, and also again, touched on in the previous repro episodes, go check those out. If you are curious, um, back from last fall was the, the ability to use advanced reproductive techniques to, uh, like increase to the genetic base of your herd and build a better goat and pros and cons of a live buck versus a frozen buck. So pros of having a live buck are that, uh, like I talked about before, like this numbers game of how many sperm cells you are introducing and the likelihood of conception and the ability of a buck to service a doe, you know, half a dozen times in a day versus, you know, uh, artificially inseminating a doe with one half cc straw of frozen extended semen. Um, you know, if you don't want to worry, if you need all your doughs bread and you don't want to worry about it, you definitely want at least one buck. Uh, the, uh, the other, I guess, well, I think this is a little bit of a crapshoot is like thinking about the financial cost of, is it more expensive to keep a buck or several bucks, or is it more expensive to keep a whole bunch of frozen bucks? And that can depend on, you know, what you've already got, what your situation is, because the cost for AI set up to keep, a, to buy a liquid nitrogen tank, to keep it filled and maintained and to purchase semen and the equipment that you need for AI is not an insignificant investment. Um, we were really fortunate and we got a wicked awesome find on Facebook of a large in good shape liquid nitrogen tank full of rare dead Nubian sires, like almost a hundred bucks are in that tank. And we got all of that for basically the cost of the tank. But between that and all the AI stuff, um, the AI gun and lights and speculums and things like that, you know, it's probably like a $2,500 investment roughly. And then the, um, the maintenance of the liquid nitrogen tank for us, because it's difficult to get someone to come fill our tank. It's expensive. Um, you know, you certainly can like share a tank with people or for a while we kept a few straws of semen in a neighbor's tank that, you know, and for us, a neighbor's like 20 minutes away. Um, but it sat there for, you know, once it's there and it's frozen, it's forever. Um, so 
crows. I mean, and like I said, I don't know how much it, how much more expensive is it to feed and maintain a buck for a year versus feed and maintain a liquid nitrogen tank for a year. Me, I don't know. A liquid nitrogen tank may be more expensive depending on your nitrogen situation, but you can also, I could keep five bucks in that tank or I could keep the hundred ish that I have in there and it costs the same to fill the tank basically. So those are things to think about. Um, and another good reason to keep a buck is because they're handsome and you get to look at them. And for my bucks, at least like once they're past the rut, so like February ish, they start to get less stinky. And I like my boys, they're all really chill and snuggly and they're good boys. I like to have them around. Um, so I, I do both. I got a whole bunch of frozen bucks and I've got some live bucks too. So using, using those tools to my advantage in order to further my goal of building a better goat. Um, I think that's it for the moment. Um, if you want to show me your bucks on Instagram, tag me at goat underscore doc and hashtag show me your bucks and I will share those on my account too. So let me see them. I love them. Um, and if you have any questions or comments or things you want to talk about, I will do my best to get to them. Now I'm really going to crack down on this parasite thing. It's, it's time. I don't have an excuse and I have a deadline cause I got to give a talk on it in like a month. So I better do that. So I do a good job. Um, I think that's going to do it for the moment. Uh, and I will talk to you guys next time.